one of the major problems of humanity, I believe, is that we forget. We are very forgetful creatures. And forgetfulness can happen on a multitude of levels, from a simple problem of recalling an idea to a posture that is full of hardness of heart. And when we read Scripture, we often see Israel hearing God, and God doesn't say, this is God. What does he often say? This is the Lord who redeemed you from captivity in Egypt. The statement is a reminder to a forgetful people that God is no ordinary God. He is the God who saves. And so Israel, you forgetful people, remember, remember, remember. And friends, because we as God's people are also forgetful, God has given us many things, many gifts to help us to remember him. One of of those gifts is the Lord's Supper. We eat the bread, we drink the wine to remember the redemption that took place on the cross of Christ. But, this is often overlooked, God also invites us to rest with him. And throughout the ages, the church has called this the Sabbath practice. But what is the Sabbath practice? Well, turn with me if you've got your Bibles or listen to me. I'm looking at Genesis chapter 2 and I want to start with the very beginning with you. Genesis chapter 2 verses 2 to 3 says, quote, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The word rested is where we get the word Shabbat in Hebrew or Sabbath in English. The word rested literally means to cease, to stop, to be complete. And so God, our God, chose to stop when he did all this creative work of forming the world. God worked six days, and then God said, you know what? I'm going to cease to sit back and savor time, to savor the creation, to enjoy it. So he doesn't just stop from toil. He stops to enjoy peace, tranquility, the serenity that he created. And here's the good news for us. We are called image bearers of God. The creation ordinance established by God is for us. We are made in the image of God to reflect his way in all creation. That shapes work, that shapes human relationships, it even shapes our rhythm that we live by. Thus, on the Sabbath, God invited us, his image bearers, to be like him, to savor his tranquility and peace. Humans, you, were made to rest. From the beginning, God's own life became the model for all human life. And so it comes as no surprise that when we mess that rhythm, 
when we try to disrupt or change or wreck that rhythm, human flourishing begins to go in reverse. It begins to be distorted. And so you might have heard me say last year when I was preaching on Genesis that the last major human effort to change the seven-day work week was an absolute disaster. 300 years ago, in the French Revolution, they decided, you know what? We're not going to stay with a seven-day work week. We're going to make it a 10-day work week to increase productivity. What was the effect? Depression skyrocketed. Productivity went down. People were literally killing themselves. And here's a scary thing. The West, me and you, has entered a new technological revolution that is leading to the exact same effects. The smartphone, alarm clock, transportation, the continual communication and outrageous radical expectation from our workplaces has created a society in which we are all expected to go, 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 and never stop. There is a new form of humanity. It's called burnout, weakened immune systems, mental fog, damaged relationships, elevated blood pressure, and spiritual detachment from God, which I find is the saddest fruit. Workaholism is the disease that is eating the soul of many individuals, families, churches, schools, communities. The truth is that we were not created to be robots. We are not created to, to be automatons, but divine reflections. Every cell in our body beats to the rhythm of creation that God established. We are to labor hard and rest easy, just like God did if you desire to flourish as a person. Adam and Eve imaged God as their work and rest reflected God's work and rest. And so that's my first point for you to think about. God stopped. Adam and Eve stopped. There's something important there for us. But there's a problem, as we're reading through the story of Genesis, that human problem emerges again. What did Adam and Eve do? They forgot. They forgot. They got spiritual amnesia. Adam and Eve, Eden's first inhabitants, forgot God's word. God then cast them out of the Garden of Eden, and they were also in that same point, cast out of that rest that they were able to savour with God and the result is depressing. As we continue to read scripture, we look at their descendants, the people of Israel, and guess where they find themselves? In Egypt. In the book of Exodus, the people of God find themselves under a terrible yoke. Peace under God was replaced with wails of despair under Pharaoh. If there was one thing the Egyptian false god Pharaoh was good at, it was exploiting subjects without mercy. The people of Israel were miserable. One pastor said this, Pharaoh is relentless. 
This quasi-divine image of the sun god is a tyrant, ruthless and cruel. No matter how much you produce, it's never enough. You live under the gloomy shadow of the daily quota. More, 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 unquote. Pharaoh, when you compare it to God in um, Genesis chapter 2, is anti-Sabbath. He imposed great demands on the Hebrew slave force. He treated them like robots and discarded them when they were no longer useful. Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 thus says, The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery their cry for help rose up to God. The cry of the Hebrews did not vanish into thin air. Does God hear their cry? He does. I've been reflecting recently on scriptures and I often see that when the people of God cry out, God hears, accepts their prayers. God accepted the prayer of his people burdened by that tyrant Pharaoh. And he intervened on their behalf. God sent Moses, one who was with Egypt, to leave Egypt and come back as a hero. And Israel were then liberated through God's mighty works of power from their bondage to Pharaoh. And things changed. In love, God the Redeemer then gifted them with the unfamiliar, at this stage, creation ordinance of rest. He reminded them of that rest. And so, friends, open up with me. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Exodus 20, 8 to 11. And this scripture, hearing it wasn't seen as like a legalistic command to Israel. It was like, oh, at last, at last. Quote, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." And so this day of rest stands in sharp contrast to the Egyptian ideal of workaholism. Instead of ruthless labor, Israel would have a weekly time to stop, to delight in God, to live by God's creation beat, to be human, to be human, to choose life. to stop with God in this set rhythm of creation is to be human. The alternative is always slavery or the drug of achievement. Achievement, once wrote Mary Bell, is the alcohol of our time. And for many of us, work is our drug our numbing agent 
that substance that we rely on, that thing that we point into our arm to keep us going, our escape hatch from life's pain. We are addicts to doing, making, producing, accomplishing, and are miserable for it. I was talking to many staff at Scone Grammar last year, and they often said, I am wrecked. I don't know what to do. If only they knew that God had designed them to be different. Under the tyranny of Pharaoh, we trade peace for hurry, sustainability for exhaustion, quietness for noise, clarity for distraction. H.H. H. Farmer once said, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Think about that image. When you go against God's creation order, ouch! Your body begins to go run, run down. You begin to break your limbs. You, things don't go well. The life of endless hurry trades fellowship for isolation, worship for anxiety, freedom for slavery, eternity for money, as we know Jesus speaks about. For these reasons, when someone continues to say, I can't stop with the church each week due to X, Y, Z, I, as a pastor, I groan for them. For many of them, I see them under a yoke of slavery that they cannot escape. But you might say, there is not a commandment in the New Testament to Sabbath. That is true. The Sabbath is not overtly commanded but it's neither abolished in the New Testament. Nevertheless, the Sabbath is to be wise. To stop is to be wise. To delight in the things of God is to be wise. John Mark Comer, who has put together this Practicing the Way series, says this in his talk on the Sabbath. You can skip the Sabbath. It's not sin. It's just stupid. You can eat concrete. It's not sin. It's just dumb. The point is that there's a way the Creator set the creation up to thrive, a way that God set you up to thrive. And we Sabbath, and when we Sabbath, we tap into God's rhythm for human flourishing. Unquote. And so I'd like to stress this point again. The Sabbath is a gift of life, and when we embrace it, we choose to live by God's rhythm, which creates life. Have you got that? Have you heard that? Let me say that again. The Sabbath is a gift of life. And when we embrace it, we choose life. But what does Sabbath look like? If Sabbath was a person it would look like Jesus. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, and you can turn to this if you like, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
Think of that image of the yoke. What is a yoke? Well, if a farmer wants to move cattle, often they would do, back in the day, to pull things, is put a yoke on their shoulders. And those cattle would be yoked together and they would move together. Jesus says, I have a yoke on my shoulder. It's upon my neck. It is not burdensome. It is not heavy. It is not painful, too painful. It is light and easy. Place it on your shoulders. And what happens when we take this metaphor further? It's all about following Jesus. When we place Jesus' yoke upon our shoulder, when Jesus places his yoke upon our shoulder, he says, follow me. The end point of this following is eternity. We're given that bliss of rest forever with God, where we will dwell in the new creation, living by God's order and time forever, and it will be a total enjoyment, which I look forward to. But he says, you can have a foretaste of this now, but you need to follow me. You need to practice my way. You need to do what I do. Become like me. I'm your rabbi, teacher. Follow me. Do what I do. And so as we follow Jesus, he enters into the synagogues on the Sabbath to teach and worship God. He also, when he's burdened by the crowds, jumps on a boat to get away from them so that he could spend rest with his disciples. Sometimes he even needed to escape the disciples and rest. And he would go up to a mountain to pray. Jesus modeled to us when we read through the Gospels a radical life of restfulness. And he was the perfect human being, never full of anxiety. We only see that glimmer of anxiety in Jesus when he's about to drink the cup of wrath. He was the perfect human, and he invites us to enjoy peace, rest, and security in him. Yes, we will suffer. Following the way of Jesus requires much pain and endurance, but we can also have a foretaste of eternity in him. Have you got that? Think of it as the now but not yet tension. Jesus says, come, you can have rest in me as we look forward to more of what I'm giving you now in the years to come in the eternity that is to come. And friends, I'd like to say we can save this rest every day, but the New Testament church, to ensure that we live into this restfulness, didn't gather on the Sabbath day they begin to gather on the resurrection day. We call this the Lord's Day. Because of this, when the Roman emperor was converted to Christianity and wanted to reform the whole of Rome, he set aside Sunday for the day where we can drink in all the good gifts of God. Here now in the 21st century, the gift and legacy of resting Christ, I would say, is no longer mainstream. We have forgotten. We are now a post-Christian society, forgotten the gifts of God. The modes of life that shaped the empire 331 AD are back in action. In other words, we are now pre-Constantine. We are moving more towards paganism. 
You may have noticed on your way to church that most of the other cars on the road are headed to other destinations, such as parks for hunting and fishing, trails for hiking and riding, golf courses and sports events, markets and drinks at the pub, some to their workplaces because they're enslaved. For the majority, Sunday has become the great day of hedonism, self-pleasure, or the day of unfinished work and tasks. In other words, the world has forgotten God. There's now even a strange new creature called a churchless Christian due to the resurgence of this pagan mentality. If only they understood the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, which invites us to rest deeply in Christ. But despite all these cultural changes, not all is lost. Their practice of Sabbath is a means of hope. Sabbath is a weekly spiritual reboot for our restless and weary souls. Sabbath is what a secular humanity enslaved to hedonism and workaholism longs for. Sabbath is a taste of heaven pointing back to Eden and forward to the new creation. Sabbath indexes us to the solar time of Jesus, who is the light and heavenly city of God. When we Sabbath, we direct our light around his holy gaze. Sabbath enables us to encounter the healing power of Jesus for a whole day each week. The society lives their life for those four weeks of holiday each year. We can stop and savor and enjoy all the gifts of God. Every single week, Jesus invites us to rest. And so do you desire to flourish? Think about it. Do you desire to thrive in your relationship with God? Friends, I would like to invite you to stop and be with God and enjoy the gift of rest in Him. Amen.